We are turning together to the book of Ruth, chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. And I read this passage in your hearing. When she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. So they two went until they came to Bethlehem. And it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them. And they said, Is this Naomi? And she said unto them, Call me not Naomi, call me Mara. For the Almighty have dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call ye me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her which returned out of the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of barley harvest. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we do not boast to know your word in its entirety. We come to your word and we come with awe and with reverence and with fear and we pray for your help physically to stand up Lord and to speak up and we pray for your people that you will draw them to yourself we pray you will make the gospel known this power that the Lord Jesus would be glorified for we pray in his name amen, amen. Use as a text today, verse 22, saying, So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, which returned out of the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of barley harvest. This is the phrase that I like. They came to Bethlehem in the beginning of barley harvest. The last time we took note of the true confession made by Ruth in verses 16 and 17, where Ruth desired a new destination. She sought to be identified with a new people, and you should be able to put the dots together. She cast her lot with the true God, the God of Israel. And this is what the Christian confession is. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. In our study today, Naomi and Ruth arrive in Bethlehem, Judah. The city was moved, not so much about Ruth because they never met her, but they were moved by Naomi's degraded state, how she looked. You know, when people migrate abroad for greener pastures, one expect that when they return 
to the homestead that they are much better off than when they leave. Isn't this the case? Apparently, this was not the case with Naomi. You know, people often migrate to developed countries like the United States and the UK only to return home with the clothes on their backs. And I've seen this. Some even return with handcuffs. But brethren, the beautiful thing about returning to the Lord is that he accepts us just as we are. You don't have to impress him by coming to him for forgiveness. And this is how Naomi and Ruth came, not with a suitcase, but empty-handed. Today I will be considering three important observations in these last five verses of our narrative. It is interesting, it's a short narrative, but it is full of information. Firstly, we will consider Naomi's silence, verses 18 and 19. Second, her state of bankruptcy, verses 20 and 21. And thirdly, our main observation, a timely season of return, verse 22. We will look at these with their spiritual implications as we go along. First, let us look at Naomi's silence, verses 18 and 19. Verse 18 says, When she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. Naomi's silence was the result of Ruth's sterling confession in verses 16 and 17, where she said, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, or where thou live, I will live. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also. If anything but death, part thee and me. This is a Christian's confession. This is our agreement with our Lord. A lot of people say this at the marriage altar. And a year down the road, they split. This is the Christian's confession. Brethren, what can anyone say? about a declaration of true faith. Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. How was he able to say this? The Lord said, Blessed art thou, Simon, son of, son of Jonas, for flesh and blood have not revealed this unto you, but my Father, which is in heaven. To confess is to say the same thing God says. Any worthy confession today comes from the Holy Spirit, not from the lips of men. Naomi became silent. Oh, for what then shall we say of these things? The apostle said, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely 
give us all things. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died. Yeah, rather that is alive and is at the right hand of God making intercession for us, brethren. Naomi came to learn that no one can trifle with the sovereignty of God. He works in the lives of whom he wills and he bypasses whom he wills. Let me ask you, are you ashamed of Christ? Are you ashamed of Christ? Ashamed to stand for him in the church, out of the church? Ashamed to declare your faith? Many can run their mouths wild when it comes to but when it comes to confessing Christ, they can talk about other things. They can give an articulate description of their job, how much they earn, but are tongue-tied when called to speak of the things of Christ. Are you ashamed of Christ? Not only in words, but in life, in living. The book of Revelation said, and they overcame with the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony and they love not their lives unto death. Are you ashamed of Christ in this crooked world that we live in? It's a question that you should ask yourself. The great preacher C.H. Spurgeon said of this confession and to us, we ought to be ashamed of being ashamed of Jesus. We ought to be afraid of being afraid to own him. We ought to tremble at trembling to confess him and resolve that we will take all suitable opportunities that we can find of saying first to our relatives and then to others with whom we come into contact with, we serve the Lord Christ. You got morning and evening devotional, you read it. You read these gems by Spurgeon. They call him the Prince of Preachers, and no wonder why he preached the gospel. One of our mistakes here at City View in admitting individuals into fellowship is that we rarely ask for a true verbal confession. We, we, we are hurt by that. We allow people just to say a few things and we don't ever, ever fully interview people. And we, we have suffered because of that. We are to confess Christ if we love him. It is the best way to silence the critics. Naomi was brought to silence after this sterling confession by Ruth. There's an insight here that I quickly must add. Naomi seemed to be fighting against God who brought her counsel to naught who made void her rational thinking. 
and, 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 and there's a truth behind the scene here. Neither Naomi or Ruth can take credit for what's going on here. I, I hope you know this. But there's an insight here that I must quickly share. Naomi and her family were not wicked people. I want you to know this. They were covenant children. God used their imperfect faith to teach us a lesson. Ruth was influenced by the witness of Elimelech and Naomi in Moab. These girls were taught the gospel. They heard the law. How in the world Naomi can come back to Bethlehem and understood Leviticus? And if you study the book, you will see that she was taught the law. These, this couple wasn't a bad couple. They influenced the Moabites. Brethren, faith comes by hearing and by hearing the word of God. And it tells me that wherever you go in society, you should be a witness. You should own Christ. No Christian has a perfect witness like Naomi and her husband. No pastor or servant of God has it totally right. Now this spoke to me. It is God who blesses our witness. And when he does, all we can do is to be silent. Just like Naomi. Verse 19. Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. And it happened when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? I've read from the New King James. I'm not backsliding. It sounds better than the Old King James. The New King James uses the word excited. The King James used the word move. The word means to make an uproar. The city made an uproar. And this tells me that this family of Elimelech were influential in Bethlehem. Their presence was felt when they left. Let me ask you, would your presence be felt when you leave? Some people's testimony is not worth two cents. They may have heard what took place over the years, how this family incurred the loss of two sons and their father. Bethlehem was in an uproar. So this is our first observation. Naomi was driven to silence. Second, state of bankruptcy, 20 and 21. She said unto them, this is Naomi, call me not Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty have dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord have brought me home again empty. Why then call me Naomi, saying, The Lord have testified against me, and the Almighty have afflicted me. Now we can look at this second heading from two vantage points. One is moral, 
and the other is spiritual. But I am more interested in the latter. Names were not given arbitrarily in the days of the Bible. You know this. Today we name children because we like the name. Sometimes we like the one who bears the name and we call others by that name. Back then, then in those days, names were meant to denote character. Naomi means that which is pleasant. And we know this because she was a picture of national Israel, God, God's organized people that looked pleasant in his eyes. The Lord's outward church. Hopefully the church looked like a pleasant place to God. How pleasant, how lovely are thy dwelling places, O Lord. The word Maura means bitter, same equivalent as the word Mary, which I will get to. You may remember in Exodus when Moses brought the children of Israel into the wilderness, they could not drink the water. The name of that river was called Mara because the water was bitter. Exodus 15, 23, we read. When they came to Mara, they could not drink of the waters of Mara, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Mara. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? They didn't understand the picture, Brother Deborah. They didn't understand that there's no gospel there. You have the advantage of knowing what it means today, and you can talk about it. Naomi knew the scriptures. She left Bethlehem with the gospel ringing in her ears, but returned as Mara. Brethren, this is the way with many today who think they have it together. They leave certainty for that which is uncertainty. Apparently, some of us are not picking up the spiritual message. Some of us are still hardened in our unbelief. God must reduce us to nothing if we are going to experience his goodness. The name Mara, as I said, is also the equivalent to the New Testament version, Mary. And there's no wonder why there were so many Marys in the ministry of Jesus. At least three or four. And there's no wonder why God chose the Virgin Mary to give our Savior his human nature. Israel had become bitter. She was no longer pleasant to God. God had to perform a miracle by entering into a woman who never knew a man. Long ago, God knew that Mary would have been Mary. Israel had become Mara, and God had dealt bitterly with his people 400 years. He never spoke a word to them because of unbelief. And you should take note of that. Naomi said, do not call me pleasant. Call me bitter. Verse 21, I went out full 
and the Lord have brought me home again empty. Why then call ye me Naomi, seeing that the Lord have testified against me, and the Almighty have afflicted me? You just can see Naomi speaking of herself, but in the third dimension, she's speaking of the nation of Israel. In the moral setting of the context, as you look at it carefully, Naomi never once admitted where she and her husband Elimelech went wrong. Never once. I didn't read it. She never admitted where her two sons went wrong in marrying heathen women. She never showed any sign of regret for leaving Bethlehem. Not once. Didn't you pick up that? You better, you better pick it up. It's here for us to see, to study. All she saw was she went out full and returned empty. All she saw was the material carnal blessings. All she saw was the Lord and his harsh dealings with her. Don't sidestep these issues. Is this not how it is with many in the church today? We never see where we went wrong. We never own up to our sin. We always point at somebody else. When tragedy or the disciplined hand of God comes upon us, we respond in a bad way. The Lord have testified against me and the Almighty have afflicted me, you poor soul. We need to stop griping. But in the spiritual context, when considering Naomi's state of bankruptcy, this is exactly the place where we all must come if we are going to be saved in this church. Before honor comes shame. Before promotion comes demotion. That's how God works. Many people feel that the church should be honored to have them on the membership role. They feel they are outstanding citizens deserving God's favor. Oh, no, you're not. I ain't glad to have nobody. But it's disobedient. The church is not honored at all. Not if we have not come to realize blessed is the poor in spirit, for there's the kingdom of God. We have the wrong concept of the church and the ministry. If we have not come to know blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Instead of the church being honored, the church will be blighted. We need these kinds of people today. Those who see their spiritual ineptness and total bankruptcy. We need these people today. Well, these are two heads. The silence of Naomi. Second, state of bankruptcy. 
we now come to our featured heading, Timely Season, a timely season, last verse. So Naomi and Ruth the Moabites, her daughter-in-law, returned with her out of the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of barley season, which is the spring at the feast of first fruits. When the first ripe grain was offered according to Leviticus 23.10. Now God is moving all of this, you know. God is doing all of this. Naomi may have known the time, but God is moving her. Leviticus 23.10. When you become into the land which I give unto you, and shall reap the harvest thereof, then you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest unto the priest. Leviticus 23 is featured about three or four times in the book of Ruth. They came at the beginning of harvest, barley harvest. Not at the end of harvest where there would be frost and snow and sleep and rain. They didn't come at the end of the harvest because the end of harvest is judgment at the beginning of harvest. Very interesting. It was a timely season for Ruth and Naomi when they returned. It was the time of harvest. This meant that the Lord had provided a crop quite the opposite than when Elimelech and his family defected when there was a famine in the land. Quite the opposite. Naomi may have still remembered the times and seasons in Israel. But one thing is certain. It was the Lord that brought this occasion to bear everything in the Bible, by the way. Bible says, Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him, upon them that hope in his mercy, to deliver their soul from death, to keep them alive in famine. They should have stayed and pondered these words of Psalm 33, 18 and 19. It was a timely season, brethren. Why it was a timely season? It was a timely season because it was a season of hope. Hopeful for Ruth and for Naomi because there was provision from God. Naomi would not starve to death anymore. Naomi would no longer hunger and be empty but would be filled with corn and barley. I hope you understand the synonyms. If you're not spiritual, you wouldn't understand what I'm saying. And I dare not explain it. Deuteronomy 8, 7 and 8. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. A land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs. 
that flow out of the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey. Deuteronomy 8, 7 and 8. A lot of people don't understand what the church is all about, what the ministry is all about, what the Christian life is all about. Naomi and Ruth return in the neck of time, harvest time. Hear the song, come harvest time. A hopeful season. Not only was food available, employment was available for the poor. You know, people go home to barbers in the sugar cane crop. In the harvest was his employment. Everybody don't want cut can now. Everybody's high tech. Everybody want a computer. But in Africa, you know when the maize is ripe, and you know when the people are getting their maize together. Harvest time, gathering the wheat to store up for the rest of the year. Hopeful season, a time of employment for the poor. Today, you and I may not see the hope that is in the gospel. You may not see the hope that is being preached from your church. Second, the reason why it was timely, the season, it was a happy season. Happy because the feast days were to be celebrated with joy and gladness as the Lord accepted the offerings of his people. Leviticus 10, 23, 10 and 11, speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, when you be come into the land which I give unto you and shall reap the harvest thereof, then you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest unto the priests, and he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted of you. On the morrow after the Sabbath, that's Pentecost, the priest shall wave it. On the day of Pentecost, when this feast day was literally fulfilled, it was a happy season. 3,000 were waved before God, the first fruits of the church. They were saved. It is interesting how God arranged this return of Naomi and Ruth at the beginning of harvest. There is one that was coming who was great. So, it was a hopeful season. It was a happy season. But it was a helper's season. A helper's season. Why I say that? Helpful for Ruth. She was an outsider. And where there is the reaping of a harvest, helpers are needed. Ruth will become a helper to the reapers. Not a boss. People come into the church and they want to be boss. A helper. Helpful for Naomi too. Because she too would find 
a redeemer. Ruth did not come to Bethlehem to sit idly. You hear what I said? She didn't, you know what Bethlehem means? Uh, Theophilus, you know what Bethlehem means? Huh? You could shout it out. Tyler, what Bethlehem means? I guess Othniel should be ashamed of himself. The house of bread. Ruth did not come to Bethlehem to sit idly and depend on Naomi. And some of you should look at this in a practical, moral way. Immediately after coming, she worked. She went up for a job. Hard work. You and I know this story in our heads very well. She became a provider. Can we bring this home to our personal lives and the life of this church? When one becomes attached to a bona fide body of believers, this should be our ambition, a helper. Today, people have the wrong concept of the church. Instead of people seeing, seeking to be helpers, they have a way of being hinderers to this ministry. And I know them. And they know where I stand too. The Lord said, I send you to reap where you bestowed no labors. Other men have labored, and you have entered their labors. You do not know of the hardships of this ministry. You come in and you see beautiful blue chairs, a clean bathroom. You didn't see the labor. You didn't see the leaky roof. You didn't see the times when we were three months in arrears of paying mortgage. You didn't see that. You didn't see a man laboring without any money, without any pay for years. You, you didn't see that. And I hate to get like this, but I need to bring this home personally. You've entered into another man's labors. As Jesus said, the prophets, the apostles, the martyrs labored that you and I can have the gospel. Others have labored physically that you can hear this gospel. Ruth never planted a grain, but she came one. She became one of the reapers. She was a grateful reaper. We can learn from her. Let me now go and glean in the sight of the one that I might find grace. I am not sure if many of us know. 
today what season that we are in. Now I'm not speaking of winter, summer, or fall. We are in a time of harvest. Mark these lessons well. They are for our hearing and our learning. What have we seen today? One Naomi silence. After the confession of Ruth, she was moved to silence. The best way to silence the critics today is, what, is with a credible confession that we are the Lord's people. Not necessarily with our mouths, but with our behavior. You can't fight with a true confession of faith. We saw, secondly, Naomi's state of bankruptcy. Morally speaking, I said, Naomi never once confessed what she did. You can learn from that. Never once she blamed God. But there's a lesson for us in the spiritual gospel context. God desires a broken heart, brokenness. Over our sin. And that's why God dealt with her bitterly. Lastly, we cited the timely season of their return. It was at the beginning, not the end. The end of harvest would have spelled trouble. The snow, the sleet, the rain, the frost would have bitten them at the beginning of barley season. Was a hopeful season for them. In closing, let me say a few words. Are you one of those people who have all the answers? You know, some come here, they got all the answers. Can't say anything to them. One who rationalize and limit the hand of God, the powerful hand of God. Learn from Naomi. There's a time to speak, and there's a time not to speak, to be silent. The Bible says, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. The Israelites were grumbling, grumbling, oh, they're behind. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. At times the Lord allow us to let our mouths run wild, that he bring us to our spiritual senses. The patriarch Job, you may remember him, was brought to silence after a litany of rational words. He said to the Lord in Job 44 and 5, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer thee? I will lay my hand upon my mouth. Once have I spoken, but I will not answer. Yea, twice, but I will proceed. No further. Too much chat from some of you. There's a time to speak and there's a time to be silent when it comes to the word of God and those ministering the word of God. Having heard the determination of Ruth to part ways with idols and follow the true God, Naomi was driven to keep her mouth shut. You can't fight with the sovereignty of God. 
And I say the best way to silence the enemy is by our obedience to God. Not so much what we know, but how we behave. Our speaker said, having your conduct honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. 1 Peter 2, verse 12. Second, in this message, we ought to consider Naomi, who was reduced to poverty, dependency. And many people don't need God today. The hoppers are full. They have their eight to four or their 10 to six or their nine to five or whatever or their three to 12. They have this going for them. But when the Lord reduces us to ill health and poverty and spiritual bankruptcy, we will call on him if we are one of his. Don't pray for that. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for there's the kingdom of God. And this is the place I must come, you must come, if we are going to be blessed. Thus saith the Lord, heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you build unto me, and where is the place of my rest? For all those things my hand have made. And all those things have been, saith the Lord, but to this man will I look. Even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit and trembles at my word. I don't see the word of God bringing much trembling today in the lives of people. So brethren, yes. This is the attitude of the believer. But one last point to make in closing. Are we conscious of the season we are in? You should be. The, the book of Timothy tells us what we will see in the last days. Are we conscious we're not speaking, I'm not speaking of the groundhog or those mysterious predictions we hear about early winter. I'm not speaking of that nonsense. Naomi and Ruth return at the beginning of barley harvest. When the New Testament church began over more than 2,000 years ago, 3,000 were saved in one day. Don't expect that today. But the harvest had begun in earnest, and as far as I know, the harvest continues. The harvest begins here in this church. There are people that are in need of grace here, the gospel. Are you bringing them? Are you bringing your children? Are you speaking to the unsaved in the church? You know them just as well as I do. 
Do we know the season we're in? You say there are four months and then come of harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields for they are white already to harvest. You know what it's telling me? In order to see the harvest, you must have the eyes, the spiritual eyes to see. The harvest is present, not future. You and I must be given eyes to see what harvest is in view. We will either be gathering as roof or scattering. And this is my message today. And I pray that we take hold of these things, lest we have not understood God's word today. I slowly and patiently explain these things to you because I want you to grasp them. Today is still the day of grace. Let's pray. Our Father, how can we escape if we neglect so great a salvation which was first spoken by the Lord and was confirmed by us who heard him? Open our ears, open our eyes, but mostly open our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.